All right. Let's go ahead and bow in prayer as we get ready for the word. Lord, we just thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for your love and your care and all that you've done for us. We ask that you guide us, lead us, show us what you would have us to see as we read your word and study it. Lord, we ask for your presence, and we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Nahum, chapter 2. And if you use the Pew Bible, I believe it was 540 or 550. <laughs> I didn't write it down this week. If you, if you have the right study Bible, the, the Thompson chain, it's uh, 369. <laughs> All right. So we're going to be looking at Nahum, chapter 2, verse 10 through 13. She is empty and void and waste, and the heart melts, and the knees smite together, and much pain is in the loins and the faces of them that gather blackness. Where is the dwelling of the lions and the feeding place of the young lions? Where where the lions, even the old lion walked, and the lions whelp, and none made them afraid. The lion did tear in pieces enough of it for his whelps, the stranger for his light lioness and filled his holes with prey and his dens with ribbon. Behold, I am against you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will turn her chariots to the smoke, and the sword shall devour the young lions, and I will cut off their prey from the earth, and the voice of their messengers shall no more be heard. We look at these verses, and before this we talked about the destruction of Nineveh, which we, we know is history in our day and day, but when Nahum wrote this, remember, he is prophesying that uh, the Nineveh, the Assyrians, are strong, and they're going to be destroyed. And he did not know at that time that it was going to be Babylon that destroyed them, because Babylon at that time was just a little province. wasn't even, you know, nobody would have thought that they were going to be the, the strength. And it says Babylon is going to be totally, or not Babylon, excuse me, Nineveh is going to be totally taken out off the face of the earth. And they won't be a strength. Now, we looked at this a little bit in the very first week, but you know, the city of Nineveh has a long, long history, even during the time of, of Nahum. The first mention of Nineveh goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 10. Okay? The son of Nimrod builds the, uh, Nineveh. Now, if you don't remember who Nimrod is, Nimrod is the first great king who starts a city, and he builds Babylon. And he's the one that's responsible for the Tower of Babel. He is also responsible for history for all the foundation of false religions. Okay? All the basis of false religions go all the way back to Nimrod. And we see this process, and God's saying, okay, this city built by Nimrod's son has been an evil city from its beginning. Same thing as Babylon. Babylon and Nineveh have had some long history of being against God. Now, Babylon is very interesting because God has used Babylon to discipline his people, but Babylon is the center and the seat of Satan's power, authority, has been all through the scriptures, and will be in the book of Revelation. So it's got a very big big side to play. God has chosen Jerusalem to be his city, and from what we read in there, in the Bible, Babylon has been where Satan has decided to be his primary city, and, they, and we see this. 
Nineveh was just an evil city. And God's saying, I've had enough of them. Now, they were created, you know, it was created in Nimrod's day. About six, about six, uh, let's see, about 1560, 160, excuse me, uh, after creation. So it has a long history. Approximately 4,000 years ago, it was created and built. Very evil city, and God says, I am going to destroy them. I've had more than enough of them. And we see this God coming in and saying, this stronghold has a very strong place against, it, against him. And he goes, but I can take it out. And you know, I think about us. How many strongholds do we have in our life? You know, and God says, uh, I want you to get rid of it. And you say, God, it's really strong. I can't get rid of it. Usually we're saying, I don't want to get rid of it. You know, much less than I don't, you know, can't get rid of it. And we all have strongholds in our life where God says, this is against me. And it could be something simple. It could be a really big sin. It could be something like alcohol or drugs. It can be something really, you know, lightweight as far as some people are concerned. You know, well, God, I just don't want to go to church. Okay. I know many people that I don't need to go to church. Well, God tells us to forsake not the assembling ourselves and so much more as we see the day approaching. So when people say, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian, I'll go, you're right, you don't have to be a Christian, you know, go to church to be a Christian. But God says, if you're going to be a, you know, a growing Christian, you're going to be a church. And this is true. I've watched people over 40 years, you know, those who don't go to church, you know, end up floundering in most cases. Yes, you can read your Bible, you can learn. But how many of you understand that you learn a lot more from other people than you ever will by yourself? You know, when you're trying to teach yourself, you are stuck with what you know, period. You will only go so far and never go beyond that because there's a place. Now, for some, it's really low. Others, it's fairly high. But there's still a place where you get to, I just can't go any further. You know, I share with you, I listen to lots and lots of preaching online and, and on the radio. Why? Because I need it just like everybody else. I need to be fed. I need to be challenged. Every once in a while, I'll hear something. I'm going, that doesn't sound right. i got to look it up. Or, wow, that sounds really interesting. I need to look that up and, and get into it. You know, we need each other. And when we, when we end up in the church, we are a group of people. You know, how many times have you sat in church and you look around and somebody that you know is missing? Hopefully, when you see somebody missing, you know, after especially two, maybe three weeks, you make a phone call and say, hey, I've just been, I've missed you. What's going on? And our church is pretty easy. I know who's missing. But if it was a bigger church, I may not know who's missing on every, every case. And besides which, I've shared with you, when the pastor calls somebody, they go, well, he's just doing his job. You know, he's supposed to call. He's supposed to visit. But you know, when the body calls somebody and says, hey, I've missed you, that has a lot of impact or sends a card to, you know, I, was just, I just missed you. We need one another. We need each other. And God says, I can pull down the stronghold. You know, what is your stronghold in your life? You know, we can go through and list off the strongholds. But you know, God wants to take it away. In uh, 2 Corinthians, I'm going to turn to this one. I meant to mark it. <laughs> Chapter 10, verses 4 through 6. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of, of strongholds, 
casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ and having in a readiness to avenge a, all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Do not look on the things after the outward appearance. If any man trust to himself that he is Christ, let him himself think of this again, that as Christ even so are we in Christ. God wants us to take down our imaginations against him. Have you ever been sitting in church, you're listening, listening to the preacher, listening to the songs, whatever it might be, and all of a sudden you find yourself thinking about everything but church? <laughs> yeah, it's pretty easy to do. You know, a day like today, we got a lot of people who are probably thinking about the Super Bowl. We got a lot of people thinking about the, the food that they've got to cook, you know, whatever it might be. And God says, take every imagination into captivity. Now, how do we take our imaginations in captivity? Because everybody will tell you, well, I just can't control what I think about. Now, and that's partially true. But have you ever realized that you can only really think about one thing at a time? People talk about multitasking all the time. But you know, even the multitaskers are only thinking about one thing at a time. And this is important. You know, if you want to be thinking about something, you're going to think about it. Uh, I was listening to a pastor today, and he goes, I want everybody to not think about a lion in your backyard. He goes, right, is everybody not thinking about the lion in their backyard? Yeah. You know, by that time, after he said it about three or four times, it'd be obvious that you're thinking about <laughs> the lion that's not in your backyard, but you're going, you're thinking about it. When we put our minds on something, we can only be thinking about that one, one topic. When we are not forgiving of somebody and we think all about how bad it is, what they did, what, how awful we feel about it, and we spend our whole time dwelling on it, we forget to put God first and put that thought into captivity. God says in that scripture that our obedience to him will put the captivities in thought. You know, what are the thoughts that he's asking us? You know, we look at this and God says we're to be forgiven. We're forgiving. Now, if we're not willing to forgive somebody, and we're not, that means we're not doing the obedient thing in forgiving somebody. When we're not being loving to somebody, it's because we're not following God and being obedient to what he says. And it's very important that as we look at the scriptures, we start living the way God tells us to live. And I understand how hard that is. Believe me, I've been going through a lot of struggles over the last month, you know, as I'm looking at some of the things that, that God has shown me and I'm believing, and he says, okay, do you believe it? Are you willing to believe these things? And for each one of us, he's going to do that. He's going to put us in a place and say, do you believe what I say? And for every one of us, that do you believe what I say is going to be different. We need to be able to stand up and say, God, I'm going to put my thoughts on you. I'm going to put my meditations on you. All through the book of Psalms, David says, I meditate on your word. I meditate on you. I think about you. I hide myself in you. If we're meditating about God and thinking about God, it takes a lot of the pressure of those strongholds away from us. And, you know, we go, God, I just can't help it. And God says, I can help you. What's he want to do? He wants to crucify our flesh, get rid of the flesh, and put his own mind in us. And I hope that the longer you work with God, the more you see that this is true. It's amazing to me that, you know, over the years, how much I start thinking 
the way God thinks. And it puts us out of step with the world. The world will say, well, this is, this is what you have to do. And I'm going, well, you know what? It's not the way God wants it done. You know, well, you've got to just think this way. No, I don't. I want to think the way God has asked me to think. Am I, am I good at it? Sometimes <laughs> and sometimes not. Especially when I look and go, God, you've asked me to do so many things. But, you know, God changes us. You know, we don't put ourselves into, into it, but we allow God to change us. I hope that you're seeing this. The longer you walk with God, then you look back over your life and say, well, you know what? I used to do these things, and now I don't even want to do these things anymore. I don't even care about these things anymore. And God is saying, my mind is changing you. You're, you're getting into my way of thinking. Romans 12 to 2 says that we are to renew our mind with the washing of the word. How much of the word do we read? Why do I encourage us to read the scriptures every day and make it through the Bible every year so that God's word starts washing over our heads? Why do I want to see us come to church so we can hear God's word and be taught God's word? Why do I listen to so many pastors on the radio? Just because I want to hear and be taught. And then take what I read myself and say, well, this is a new way to read it, a new way of thinking. God is saying to us, listen. And it's an amazing thing when we go through the word and we see God's voice, God's speaking to us. And the way that we look at this and say, God, I never thought about this. I never, you know, Jesus told us to do really hard things like love your enemy. You know, what, what does the world tell us to do? Go, go out and destroy your enemy with everything you've got in the world. And God says, I want you to love your enemy. Do good to those who despitefully use you. You know, that, uh, that, those, those two things are really easy, aren't they? You know, real easy to do. If somebody's really being mean to you and say, okay, I'm going to do something good to them. The funny thing is, is when you do good things to them, they really kind of are wondering what you're doing. They're wondering, how can this person be such a nut? They're, they're, they're being kind. It's an amazing thing to watch what God can do and will do. And, you know, we look at this, and so many people, when they're touched by kindness, by God, get conviction in their life. Because they're used to having people respond negative to them. You know, in our world, there's a general law that if you treat somebody bad, they're, they're going to treat you bad. If you treat them good, they'll, they'll generally treat you good. And God's way says that when they treat you bad, you treat them good. That's contrary to what the world is telling us to do. And we need to be able to say, God, help me in every situation. One of the things I've said, you know, we, we as Christians need to be looking and saying, God, what is, a, what is your way? And usually the first thing that pops into your mind is not God's way. All right. So you need to take that moment. You know, we were, we were taught when we were younger, you know, stop, count to 10 before you do something, you know, before you re respond. Actually, that's pretty good advice. When we want to respond in a certain way, we need to go, God, is this your thought? Now, the good news is when we walk with God long enough, sometimes his thoughts come pretty quick on top of, you know, on top of us. We're, you know, we're ready to kill a person for about a split second, and all of a sudden, God's love comes upon us. That means we've grown a lot. 
Sometimes it comes weeks afterwards after you've really hurt them and now you're, now you're under conviction and say, well, I should have done this. How do we get that to change? We spend more time with God. We spend more time with his people. We encourage one another. When we see somebody fail, you know, the part that we're supposed to do as Christians is to love them, build them up, edify them. You know, the sad thing about it is most Christians end up tearing somebody apart when they fall. The church has a bad reputation of ripping each other up. You know, oh, how could you make such, a, such an error? How could you have fallen so far? How could you have done whatever it is? Well, they're sinners, <laughs> just like we are. We're all sinners. And the more we re recognize that other people are sinners, the easier it is for us to be able to say, you know, there but by the grace of God go I. Any one of us can do anything that, that they lost their temper, they fell into to an affair, they, they slept around, they got drunk, they, they got high, whatever it might be. We need to be very careful that we don't condemn them. Because God is saying, they're my child. They fell. You know, and think about how many times you've sinned uh, before you want to go after somebody for their sin. And you go, well, God, my sin wasn't as big. Well, you know what? God says that all sin is big because it all violates his standard of perfection. Somebody else's sin may not be such a big deal in the cosmic you know, realm, but it says God says they failed, they're out of fellowship. And that fellowship is so important. How many times have you been just wanting to worship God? I love being able to just sit back and just praise God. Sing some songs, sing some activities. If you ever get near my office at the prison, which hopefully none of you ever do, <laughs> you know, I hope you're never anywhere near the prison. Maybe some point you might find me just singing. You know, my, my office is a little way off from everybody else's, so there'll be times I'm not, not a full voice, but I'll just be singing, enjoying God. Why? Because I want to just focus on him. I want to plan just to sit back and say, God, you are so special. You are so wonderful. I know people who say that they've got Christian music, Christian preaching on all the time in their house. And I love that idea too. Fill your presence with God and his thoughts, your thoughts with God. And you know, we sing some of the songs that, uh, that we hear on the radio. We sing some things that we hear. Can you just imagine if you spent your whole day just listening to praises to God? How would it start to change your thinking? You know, if we turned off our TVs, we turned off you know, all the news broadcasts. You know, I've been reading a lot about many of the great theologians in this country and around the world. And you know, one of the things that I'm finding about them is most of them did not read newspapers. They did not read the news. Why? Because they really didn't care about the news because if you want to read your Bible, you'll know exactly what's going on in the news anyway. Some country attacked some other country, and somebody did this, and somebody did this. You know, you're going to find out about the big news events. You know, if you go into really big, big events, you'll hear about them anyway. But you know, one of the things about it is how many of us spend our day. I know people who turn on CSN, MSN, you know, Fox News, whatever it is, and they listen to it all day. How depressed are you going to be hearing all that bad news all day? 
know, it may be one thing to listen to it for an hour, half hour. But what do you spend your time listening to? You know, there was, used to be the old joke about listening to country and western, you know, that everybody's getting divorced and having affairs and losing their dog and losing their truck and all these other things. You know, and it was. It was a very depressing <laughs> type of music. Um, it was, you know, I, I had my country and western days. I enjoyed that. But, you know, it was, but it was depressing music when you thought about what you were listening to. Then you go so far to the other side where it's just all sugary sweet and nothing, nothing facing reality. What do we spend our time doing? Now, am I telling you to do nothing but listen to, <laughs> listen to gospel stuff? Well, I think it would be a good idea. But I also understand most people aren't ready for that. It's taken me many years to get to the place where, you know, I don't even listen, don't even like listening to the Christian music anymore. I just listen to the, to the preachers. Would I expect everybody to jump to that? Absolutely not. I didn't. <laughs> you know, it takes time to get there. But I want to challenge us, where are your thoughts? What are you thinking about each day? Does God come into your life a little bit every day? You know, we talk about giving a tithe of our money to God, and that's important. Giving back to God what he's given and, and doing it joyfully. But I also believe that God wants a tithe of our time which means that he wants two and a half hours every day. Do we give God two and a half hours every day of our time? Uh, some people do. Some people do. Some people don't. Some people give God his hour and a half on Sunday and say, God, I've given you all the time that you deserve. That's all I'm going to give you. I came to church. And that's all you get. And God, you should be happy that I came to church that day. Are we spending time with God? Are we in his word? Are we listening to what he has to say and give him an opportunity to speak to us? Can't happen once a week. Our spiritual bodies need to be replenished. You know, how would you feel if you ate one meal a week? You know, here in America, we would, uh, you know, that's a horrifying thought to eat one meal a week. Well, God, I'll have one meal a week, and by the way, all I want is watered-down milk and a little bit of porridge because I can't handle the steak and potatoes, which so many people come to church, to be spoon-fed the simplicity of the word. And that's all I want to eat, God. I don't even want to eat anything hearty. How long do you think you could live that way? Wouldn't be long before you would be starved to death. And yet there are people out there spiritually who just eat once a week. And they want the milk of the word. And, and as I say, a lot of them don't even want the milk of the word. They want a little bit of watered down milk. Don't even make it complex, complex milk. We need to be able to look to God and say, God, I want you. What does that mean? We spend time pray in prayer. We spend time reading the word. We spend time just worshiping him. You know, one of the things I love is just praise to God. You know, have you ever noticed how when you sing praises, you think about God, how everything changes in your, in your atmosphere? You know, when we sing praises to God, we let songs of praise, everything just seems to change around us because the spiritual world is affected as well. It's going to be an amazing thing when God shows us what's going on around us. You know, I, I'm probably very glad that God doesn't let us see what's going on around us in the spiritual realm. 
When God is lifted up, Satan comes out against that. And God says, I want to be lifted up and watch the world. You know, how many times do we see, not see the battle going on around us? What did God say to Satan when Satan showed up at the throne room of heaven? You know, hey, what have you been doing? Because well, I've been walking around to and fro, checking out the world, seeing what kind of trouble I can cause, getting the reports from my demons so that we can try to cause more problems. And in the book of Job, God says, did you consider my servant Job? How would you like to be pointed out by God to Satan? I've got news for you. If you're living for God at all, he's pointed you out to Satan. And saying, have you thought about this servant? And his answer is going to be, yeah, I have, but you've got, your, you've got the wall of protection around him. He says, okay, you can do this. We talk about this so often. God allows things to happen to us, and we don't understand why. But only what he allows can happen to us. And this is important for us to understand. It may not make any sense. I'm sure that if you were in Job's place, it would make no sense to go from the richest man in the world to having nothing. No family, no, no house, no, no livestock. You, you've got a wife. You had, his wife was left, and his health is gone. Very quickly. How many people would have given up on God if that happened to us? God, I just don't understand. And Job had wonderful friends telling him that he must have done something really bad to deserve all of this. You know, Job, if you had just followed God a little closer, then you wouldn't have lost everything. If you had just confessed your sins, nothing would have happened like this. Have we ever been that kind of a counselor to somebody in the church? You know, I know we probably all had a counselor like that <laughs> come to us in church. Well, you know, if, if you had just not done whatever it was that caused this, you had been okay. We need to be careful. You know, Job said that, you know, you guys are awful counselors, awful comforters. He goes, when I comforted people, I was, cried with them. I was sorry with them. Sometimes that's all you can do is cry with somebody. You may not have words for them. Because sometimes we're just not going to understand why something happened to somebody. Because we don't understand. We're not from God's position. The one thing we could know is all things work together for good for those who are called according to the purpose of God. But if you come across somebody who's suffering, don't give them that verse. <laughs> okay? If they don't believe that verse, it is not a comforting verse to them in the middle of their trial. Now, if I was going through that kind of thing, you'd come to me and say, remember Romans 8, 28. And because I believe it going into it, it would be comfort to me. But I had my head torn off when I was really young one time and I used that verse with somebody and they're going, you know, I'm going, okay, I'm, I'm sorry for giving you scripture. <laughs> I, I won't do this again, <laughs> at least not that scripture. You know, and this really shows us, do we believe God's word? All of our tests really are part of that. God's saying, do you believe my word? Whatever it might be. If God is teaching us about love, He's going to put us in a position where we have to love somebody. And depending on how far along you are in your, in your de development will be how hard that person is to love. If you're just learning to love, he'll give you somebody that's fairly easy to love. 
you've been studying love for about 15, 20 years, you might just have somebody who's really hard to love come across your path and God says, do you believe? Are you willing to do what needs to be done? Forgiveness? You know, how hard is it for some people to forgive? You know, God, I just can't do it. And God says, well, I want you to learn. And he starts teaching us. Teaching us to forgive one another. Because you know, we think about this. God's forgiveness. His grace. His mercy. And he says, I want you to be graceful, giving grace to people. I want you to be merciful to people. I want you to love them the way that I love them. And then he starts teaching us to do so. You know, and when we're starting out with God, we fail a lot. We fail a lot because it is so contrary to the way we think. Decades later, we're still failing a lot, but our tests are a lot harder. And there's a good reason that we're failing because if we were, we've gone so far with him and we still fail. But you know, it feels so good when you say, God, I'm learning. I'm learning to love somebody. I'm learning to be gr give grace to people. I'm learning to lift them up, to edify, to build them up. You know, it's really interesting to just take and build somebody up. You know, it is so good to see you. And we start simple. It's good to see you. I love when I love your presence here. You're, you're, I love it when God comes in and, and, you're, and you're here. And then we look and we say, I like the way you just got victory over that situation. It, you know, or as I look around, there's so many people in our church that have grown so much in six years that I've been here. And it's like, wow, God, look what you're doing. Look what you're doing in this person's life. Look what you're doing in this person's life. Thank you. God, you are so wonderful. So many of us focus on ourselves. And, you know, we need to get away from ourselves a lot of times. Jesus said, if you want to be the greatest in the kingdom, be the servant of all. He says, if you want to be first in the kingdom, be last in this world. And basically he's saying, quit thinking about yourself. <laughs> you know, the flesh thinks about itself. What makes me feel good? What makes me look good? What causes most people's problems? Somebody disrespecting them and, and thinking they're not number one and not putting them in number one. If we can just learn to lift others up, to give others a place and saying, I want you to look good. I want you to be successful. What a difference our life has. And you know what God does in, our, in turn? He lifts us, lifts us up. He raises us up as we are ministering to other people. It's an amazing thing that we start casting down the strongholds in our life. We put our imaginations under God's obedience. And all of a sudden, we start thinking more like God. And I hope you understand that. The longer you walk with God, the more you start thinking like him. You know, the more his love can be the thing that comes out, the more his forgiveness comes out. And you look back and you go, and you know, Wow, I was just nice to that person. You know, 10 years ago, I would have ripped their head off for doing something like that. Oh, you know what? Wow, I just had to do this, and I don't understand why. God says, it's me. His growth comes over time as we learn to think more and more like him. And we look back over time, and we go, God, what a change you've made in my life. 
And it's not me, and I've talked about this, it's not me with a whip and chair trying to get my flesh into, into a tamed position. God says, I want to crucify your flesh. I want to kill that flesh in that area. And we say, okay, God, it's going to hurt, but go ahead and kill it and replace it. And boy, it feels good when he's done that. You know, sometimes I wish he'd just kill all the flesh at one time and, and make us spi really spiritual, but you know, it takes time. It takes some time to do that, probably because we wouldn't know how to behave if he did that. You know, he's got to say, this is what I want you to learn. And it's a long process of being able to clean out that dead man thinking and putting in new life into us. So the challenge we have today, are we going to follow Christ? You know, you know first off, we need to know him, which, uh, you know, the testimony of everybody in this room is that you know him. But, you know, we first accept that we're a sinner. We're headed for hell without, without accepting Jesus Christ. And then we take him into our life and let him change us. And then we spend our lifetime learning to follow him. Little bit by little bit. You know, and I keep telling you, it's just like school. You, know, you don't go to kindergarten and learn advanced calculus. <laughs> you know, if you can't do addition, you're not learning calculus. If you, you know, they're not asking you to write an essay, a doctoral thesis in kindergarten. Because you just can't do it. God doesn't do that to us. When we first get saved, he's not saying, okay, I want you to immediately jump to write theological theses for me. Now, there are a lot of people who expect that to happen. But it takes time to get there. Now, if you're not growing and, and, and advancing, then you have to start looking at it and going, okay, God, I need to change them. <laughs> some, some things in this relationship have to change because I'm not growing. And it's very important for us. But I want to challenge each one of you. Let God get full control of your life. Have him change you. Have him crucify your flesh and change your way of thinking. Our part in it, we get into the word. We get to know how he wants us to think, and then we start letting him think through us. Let's bow our heads and, and look at what God, ask God to bless us. Lord, we just thank you for this day. Lord, if there's anybody that listens to this on the Internet, we ask that you be with them and guide them. Let them get saved. Let them make decisions to follow you. Lord, for each person that's here, we ask that you let us learn and live with you, that you will change our heart's attitudes and help us to understand what you would have us to understand. Change us to be more like you with each passing day. Lord, give us the opportunities and the desire to seek you and seek your change. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.